How did Coca-Cola boost market share? By simply doing what it had always done. How did Yellowtail shake up the wine industry by not doing what everyone else had always done? In both cases, the companies involved had thought about their position within the marketplace, and though they reacted in two very different ways to what they saw, both managed to dramatically improve performance through two powerful realizations. Today, we're looking at how and why a good marketing strategy starts with analyzing your company's adversaries. How are we? Welcome to episode 13 in my series on zonal marketing, a brand new model which uses the tactical lessons taken from football management to help you understand, plan and measure your marketing activity effectively. I'm Simon Vincent, the Marketing Tactician, and in this episode, I'll be looking at how your company's competitors and alternatives can influence your marketing approach for the better. As always, I'll start with an example from the world of football and then see what we, as marketers and business owners, can learn and apply to our own discipline. So let's dig in. In 2008, Pep Guardiola took over as manager of Barcelona, replacing Frank Rijkaard after the Dutchman had failed to win a trophy in each of the last two seasons. Guardiola's appointment was announced the day after Real Madrid had beaten the Catalans 4-1 to round off a title-winning season. For Barca, who would ultimately finish third that season, a full 18 points behind their arch-rivals, it was clear that change was needed, not just in terms of the manager, but also a revolution in style too. Guardiola was the man to deliver it. Taking inspiration from the total football tactical approach of the 1970s Ajax and Netherlands teams, Guardiola developed his own similarly zonally based system called Juego de Vedicion, the basis of what has now come to be popularly known as Tiki Taka. And it was through this system's fluidity of positional play that Guardiola was ultimately able to convince the likes of Lionel Messi, for example, to reinvent the false nine role, much as Johan Cruyff had done for Ajax in years gone by, bamboozling the Real Madrid defence as Barcelona beat Real 6-2 just a year after Rijkaard's team's humiliation. In short, through taking lessons from teams from a different era and a different country, Guardiola was able to transform a team of serial underachievers into one of the most exciting, most innovative, most influential teams of the modern era. So influential was Guardiola's approach that when Louis van Gaal took charge of English club Manchester United in 2014, the Dutchman immediately instilled at Old Trafford the same possession-based style that was so characteristic of both Total Football and Guardiola's tiki-taka. However, when results didn't go their way, Red Devils fans revolted, one of their main objections being van Gaal's refusal to play what the fans had coined the United way. This referred back to the team's approach under the supremely successful Sir Alex Ferguson, where the team had played expansive, attacking football that utilised the width of the pitch and threw caution to the wind. In short, the polar opposite approach to Van Gaal's. Van Gaal himself lasted just two seasons before he was sacked, with the team finishing the season fifth and outside of the Champions League places. And so we have two examples, one of a team that vastly improved its fortunes having taken inspiration from elsewhere, 
another of a team that went on a downward spiral, having moved away from that which had made it successful in favour of a flavour of the month playing style. Comparable examples exist in the world of marketing. For a comparison with Van Gaal's United, look no further than another iconic red brand, Coca-Cola. In 1985, Coke was losing market share to Pepsi, whose marketing touted itself as the better tasting cola. And so, feeling the pressure from their nearest challenger, Coke altered its formula to a supposedly better tasting version. However, the experiment was an abject failure. After months of heavy criticism, Coca-Cola changed their recipe back and released it under the name Coca-Cola Classic. Their problem was that they'd fallen into the trap of seeing something that their competitor was doing, and much like Van Gaal and Manchester United, rather than sticking with what they do best, they'd attempted to jump into that competitor's space. What the whole episode helped Coca-Cola to realise is that people don't buy Coke for the taste. They buy it for the associations it has for them, their emotional connections, the memories the product evokes, and the way it makes them feel while drinking it. To this day, Pepsi continues to market themselves as the objectively better product. Think of the slogan, take the taste test challenge. Meanwhile, Coca-Cola stick to the tried and tested formula of being the brand that stands for family and good times with friends. Note nothing about how the product actually tastes. Hence, their famous holidays are coming TV ad, which for many marks the start of the festive season. What's the lesson we can take from this as marketers? Well, obviously, it's important to differentiate yourself from your direct competitors. Even if they're basically selling exactly the same product as you, clever marketing can find an ownable space for your brand, a way to talk about yourself differently and to make you to stand out. One trick for emerging brands in being able to do this is to not only analyze your competitors, but also your customers' alternatives. So W. Chan Kim and Renee Malborn in their seminal book on entrepreneurship, Blue Ocean Strategy, developed this concept. They say, to fundamentally shift the strategy canvas of an industry, you must begin by reorienting your strategic focus from competitors to alternatives and from customers to non-customers of the industry. As you shift your strategic focus from the current competition to alternatives and non-customers, you gain insight into how to redefine the problem the industry focuses on and thereby reconstruct buyer value elements that reside across industry boundaries. They use the example of the Australian company Casella Wines, who completely upended the US wine industry by looking at their adversaries not simply as being other wine producers, but also the manufacturers of beer, spirits, and ready-to-drink cocktails. In doing so, they managed to avoid the trappings of talking about their wines in terms of tradition and tasting notes as wine producers have wanted to do in the past, and instead created a fun and non-traditional wine that's easy to drink for everyone. You'll know that wine as Yellowtail. Think of this as being like Guardiola applying the lessons of total football to his Barcelona side. Were 1970s Ajax a competitor to his team? Well, of course not. However, they were another football team playing essentially the same game within the same parameters, and through studying what had made them successful and developing his own take on it, Pep was able to create a compelling new approach 
that was also highly successful. In the workshops that I run with companies, I help teams of employees work through a selection of questions to help clarify their thinking with relation to market positioning. I ask them to identify three adversaries. I say they need to make two of them in industry, i.e. companies who sell almost the same products and or services as they do. I ask them to make sure that one of these competitors is the biggest name in their industry. After all, that's where we're aiming, right? The other adversaries should be from outside their direct competition, i.e. an alternative product that their target customer might see as being similar or in some way comparable. Then we try to articulate how their company is different from the first two and how it's similar to the third non-direct competitor company. Finally, as preparation for choosing an overarching tactical approach later, I co-opt Simon Middleton's brand positioning workshop from his book, Build a Brand in 30 Days, as I ask them to indicate on a grid with the options very low, low, high, and very high, how they compare to their adversaries. You may recognize some of these questions from a previous episode where I spoke about identifying your company's marketing problem. So question one that I ask them is what is the cost of my product? This, of course, is a relative thing and your answer should reflect that. So rather than putting the actual monetary value, you should indicate how you compare to the other companies you've chosen. If appropriate, you can use the terms such as budget, premium or luxury here. The key thing is that you are pricing yourself within your industry not in absolute terms. So all cars are expensive items, for example, but if your company is Dacia, you can still say that you are on the cheaper side of the automotive spectrum. Question two, what is the value of my product? Now, this is a completely different question to the one above. It relates to the emotional investment your customers put into buying your product, no matter what the cost is. For example, the emotional investment you might put into making the right choice of school for your child will probably be extremely high, even if the school is a state school and therefore free of charge. Similarly, any product that has a representative effect on how the customer sees themselves, their identity, their status, for example, a fashion item, will have a high value, even if the cost is relatively low. Question three, how high is awareness of my product? Now, as the owner of a startup or scale-up company, it's possible that you've created something that's new or developed a completely new way of presenting an age-old issue. In those cases, your audience will not know about your product. So understanding this at the outset will help you to narrow down very quickly which tactical approach, channels, and style of content you would benefit most from. Alternatively, maybe you're selling bread or financial services or a blender, in which case you don't need to educate me on what your product is. You simply need me to make sure that you come up first when I decide to want to buy your product. Question four, how high is awareness of your company? Now, this relates to you specifically while still comparing yourself to your competitors, of course. After all, if people don't know who you are, they'll be less likely to trust you initially. Similarly, if a name brand adversary has a huge reputation and a clear MO when it comes to their marketing, let's say it's Coke, and every year they run their holidays a coming ad, this will play into your tactical approach later. Question five, how often are people likely to buy your product? If your customers are likely to keep coming back year after year, month after month, or even week after week, this will affect the tactical approach that you take. 
Likewise, if they're likely to only buy once, either because the product you sell lasts a long time or perhaps because it's a high cost item, this will also have an effect on your tactical approach. Subscription services too have an impact on this decision. Question six, how loyal are people likely to be to your company? Now this again is a slightly different question to the one above, which is to say that there are some products we all pay for regularly, but for which we would be quite happy to switch to a competitor if we were offered a better deal. Utilities companies, for example, face this issue all the time. Question seven, how much is your company affected by tangible or logistical limitations on how much product serve or service you can provide? Now, this is really a question of supply. Note, while having some li such limitations may sound like a problem, it really isn't. Scarcity can often command a premium, a markup that can be maximized through an intelligent tactical approach to marketing. Indeed, as the recent emergence of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, has shown us, brands are even now applying arbitrary limitations on non-tangible digital products specifically for this purpose. Question eight, how diverse is your product portfolio? Now, if the previous question deals with supply, this one deals with the demand side of the equation. For some products and for some businesses, the number of products they sell or the amount of customers they can have is either extensive or near limitless. Think of long tail businesses such as Netflix or broad appeal companies such as Amazon. In these circumstances where the customer could justifiably be paralyzed by the amount of choice on offer, a marketing approach based around hyper-personalization is often the most effective. summary, positioning your company within the market is absolutely pivotal to how you tactically approach your marketing. To do this, companies benefit from not only analyzing their in-industry competitors, but also their customers' out-of-industry alternatives. Establishing how you are different to the former, while drawing similarities with the latter, is the path to blue oceans where startup and scale-up brands are able to not only challenge the competition, but actually to make them practically irrelevant. Okay, I think that's enough for today. Check back here every week for a new episode of Zonal Marketing, each one explaining another part of the marketing process through a footballing lens. If you're enjoying what you're watching, please do like, comment and or share. I am available for speaking gigs, training sessions and client work. If you'd like to talk to me about any of that, you can do so by visiting x-cmo.com. In the next episode, I'll be looking at the role of customers and brand custodians in developing a marketing mix. To do that, I'll be delving into how Netflix killed off Blockbuster through simply better understanding customer behavior. And I'll be talking about why it's important that there are 10 times as many followers of Ferrari's Instagram account than there are actual Ferrari owners in the world. Along the way, there'll be comparisons to Cristiano Ronaldo signing for Juventus and even James Rodriguez's signing for Everton. Until then, I'd like to say thank you very much for your attention and I'll see you back here next time. Thank you.